This is a Reconstructionist Radio production. For more audiobooks and other content, please visit reconstructionistradio.com. Book title: Church Shift. Author: Sunday Adelijah. Published by Charisma House. Copyright: 2008. Narrated by Jason Garwood. Chapter 4: Becoming Kingdom-minded. A shift must occur. Before we can rule in our promised land, we must be ruled by the kingdom. The Bible calls this being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Romans 12.2 If we want a new nation, we must shift as individuals. We will only find success in transforming our workplace, our families, our social sphere, and our society as we abide by kingdom rules. Jesus said it this way, quote, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. John chapter 15, verse 5. God was on our side the day we openly challenged the government. The newspapers and all the people were astonished at the result. We had stared down the leaders of our country and won. The effects on the country would be more momentous than we had even dreamed. And through that single act, we received more coverage nationwide than in the 10 years we had sat in our church praying and fasting. God also will be on the side of everyone who uses kingdom principles. And this is your calling as a child of God. The Bible tells us something amazing about God. For you have magnified your word above all your name. Psalm chapter 138, verse 2. That is an amazing statement. God has elevated his kingdom principles, his word, above even his name. His principles cannot be circumvented. He will not violate them just because you pray. That would be God working against himself, and a kingdom divided will not stand. He will not do you special favors. Rather, it is our task to become kingdom-minded. To do this, we must do more than find our promised land. We must embody the king. We must be fully impacted by his nature so that we have his nature. The very word kingdom means, quote, king's domain, end quote. Christ's kingdom is made up of two things, Christ's nature and Christ's rule. But his nature must come first. I like to tell people they must be addicted to God. A kingdom addiction is the only addiction we are allowed in this life. See 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 15. When we embody the characteristics and values of Christ the King and live by his teachings and principles, we actually bring the lifestyle of the kingdom of God to our world. The Ills of a Church-Minded Church Matthew 6, 33 tells us the only thing we should seek after is the advancement and victory of God's kingdom and the triumph of his righteousness over the unrighteousness of the world. But many people in the church are more church-minded than kingdom-minded. I have observed that when a church neglects the Great Commission mandate to transform nations, it falls into several predictable traps. Infighting Too much light burns the eyes. Too much salt burns the tongue. When Christians make church the focal point of their lives and ministry, they burn each other like an oversalted dish and blind each other like a room full of spotlights. Salt and light are not meant for themselves. We are not called the salt of the church, 
but the salt of the earth, Matthew 5.13. We are not called the light of the church, but the light of the world, Matthew 5.14. The more you stay in the salt shaker or under the bushel, the less salty you become and the dimmer grows your light. Even the worst, you become more prone to fight with other believers. When a church loses focus, people get busy fighting among themselves. When our eyes slip from our kingdom purpose, we abuse the institutions Jesus wants to use to bring kingdom life to the earth. As a child in Nigeria, I found salt on the street one day. I collected it, brought it home, and used the salt to prepare some food. I tasted the food, but it didn't taste the least bit salty. I salted it again, but still there was no change in the taste. Then I poured almost all the salt into the pot, but still there was no change. I finally tasted the salt and found it had no taste at all. I asked my grandmother about this and she told me that this salt had lost its saltiness because it had gone too long without being used. This sounds like some believers in churches. They go too long without being used. The Bible says, quote, It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. End quote. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. Recently, I heard about a meeting of pastors where this truth struck such a powerful chord that they came up with a joint statement of apology to people in their churches. It read, quote, As pastors and ministry leaders within the local church, we have believed and operated with the mindset that all ministries were church-related and that they were to be under its government and control. We have not understood the kingdom of God or how it was to manifest on the earth. As a result, we have used people to build our churches and ministries. In doing so, we have not honored those called by God to minister in commerce, media, arts, government, social services, and most other occupations outside the influence of the organized church. If individuals could not or would not serve our vision for our churches, we undervalued them as less important, but accepting them as sources of income. Most of these people have been ignored, and as a result, they have become discouraged and disconnected. Many have left in frustration, anger, and disillusionment, believing somehow that they were less spiritual. Others have given up trying to fit themselves into the limited space within the local church structure and ministry. We have attempted to make business executives into intercessors, salespeople into children's nursery workers, business administrators into Sunday school superintendents, and so the list goes on and on. As pastors and ministry leaders, we want to tell you that we have been wrong. What we have taught and demonstrated for generations within the church has been shallow and selfish. We are sincerely sorry, and we come in repentance for our bad attitudes, wrong beliefs, and our poor behavior towards you. Please forgive us. We honor you as kingdom people called by God to the marketplace. We believe you are ordained by God to occupy and transform your sphere of influence and the territory to which you have been called. We release honor, blessing, and favor on your life and personal calling to the marketplace. We as pastors and ministry leaders are prepared to stand with you and support you in your God-given ministries. You have dreams ordained by God. It is our privilege and heart's desire to call them forth 
and to see you fully established in the destiny for your life. End quote. I believe this could be the confession of most churches of today. Until we equip and release people, we will never impact society. A church that has an outward-looking kingdom focus simply has no bored people. Everybody is busy in the proper direction. Everybody is fulfilling their purpose and subduing their promised land. Nobody has time for internal squabbles or unimportant questions. They see clearly. Their focus is on the earth, not on the church. There are no power struggles because the church is no longer the prize. People are too busy learning to impact the world in their unique, God-given way. Egocentric Leadership I was in Seattle recently and saw Bill Gates and his wife go into a coffee shop. They had only one bodyguard with them. I was amazed. Yet I have seen big-time pastors in the United States travel with squads of bodyguards. You can't get close to them. They don't possess even 1% of the wealth Bill Gates has, yet they prance around like kings. Having met with billionaires and famous people, I have found it is actually easier to approach many of them than it is to approach some pastors. God help us. Sometimes our eyes slip from the kingdom and fall onto ourselves. When our focus is not on finding our promised land and changing our society from right where we are, we start using kingdom resources to build our own kingdoms. We become egocentric. One of the biggest symptoms of egocentric leadership is the church ownership mentality. When a pastor refers to my church and my people, he often betrays his true feelings. He sees the church as his flock, even his bride, and the measure of his career success. I used to behave like a church owner until God taught me a hard lesson. I had planted a church in Belarus as a very young man and tended it as carefully as if it were my child. But one day God told me to give it up and help another group start a church. It was hard to leave that first little church, but I did it in obedience. I helped form a second church and I often preached. We started a Bible school in the church, and I thought I would be ministering there for many years. But less than a year later, God told me to withdraw from ministry and sit in a congregation during the meetings. I was perplexed and disappointed. To start a church is an enormous task. I had put so much effort into it. Everyone looked to me as their teacher and as a person with authority. But again, I was obedient to God and became an ordinary church member. God raised up one of the other members of the group to be the pastor. A year passed and God spoke to me about starting another church with some local students. I obeyed again and started this third church, but shortly thereafter, God spoke to me again and said, leave this church too. I did, and less than a year later, God began insisting again that I start a new church in a different location. I finally replied, I'm not going to start any new churches. I was afraid he would tell me to leave it again after a month or two. I didn't know if I could take the heart-wrenching experience of giving up another church. I didn't understand it at the time, but through these trials and experiences, God was teaching me to let go of his bride. In my confusion, God answered me gently but firmly. He impressed on my heart that there was one thing he wanted me never to forget. I was not to build my own kingdom. There are people who claim to be non-denominational, but in reality they are building their own kingdom. He wanted me always to understand that he alone is the Lord of the church. 
Whether there are 10 people in it or hundreds of thousands, this church would always be his. I had no claim over it. God could take me away from it whenever he wished, so I needed to be prepared for this at any time. That settled the matter in my mind. Today, I could leave my church and become an ordinary member of its congregation or get involved in something quite different without the slightest regret, sorrow, or inner pain. I tell you this from the depth of my heart, because earlier I experienced real pain, but now I know that the church is not mine. Too many church leaders talk about my ministry and my church. I have heard men weep and plead with God, Oh Lord, do this or that in my church. They are trying to bribe God with their tears. They would make God a mere means to fulfill their own dreams. They are church-minded, not kingdom-minded. The author of life said only one thing is worth thinking about, the kingdom. Nothing else should compete with it for our attention. Build the kingdom and be faithful to the church, but don't get attached to the church. Cling only to the kingdom and the king. We do not own the church. We are simply God's co-workers. Everyone, from the most well-known church leader to the lowliest layperson, must have the same attitude. We are not the owners, but the laborers. Think of it this way. The church is Jesus' bride. In John 21, Jesus told Peter, in essence, love me and feed the flock. The bride belongs to Jesus, not you. Love him first. If the church is Jesus' bride, then we are not allowed to love the church. That would be committing spiritual adultery. Husbands are to love their wives and the Lord, not Jesus' bride. Jesus said to love him, but only feed or care for the church. Size Focus Egocentric churches love to focus on numbers. When a church gets big enough, its pastors and congregation members have a smugness about them. At every opportunity, they boast about having large crowds at their churches. It's okay to talk numbers and to rejoice in God's blessing of numerical growth, but it's childish to revel in it and compare ourselves with others. If a church grows in numbers, the point is to glorify Christ, that his name might become known all over the world, that everyone might grow into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I pastor a large church, but it's not a big deal to me, and it's not my goal. It's just a platform God has given us as a group to impact our nation. When a church is strong or large, there are fewer barriers for it. People will respect and honor you simply because you are a member of that church. That kind of influence can help people establish the kingdom of God more effectively. But there is absolutely no use in having a big church without changing the culture, speaking to society, and curing social ills. Egocentric Followers Egocentric leaders produce egocentric followers. When a pastor is using a church to meet his own needs, this motivation trickles down to people in the pew who begin to see the church as existing to meet their personal needs. A culture of self-gratification grips the church. People go there to get a feel-good message. They get caught up in living for themselves, wanting a career and blessings and influence. They get a warped view of church and believe it exists to give them a positive weekly experience and tools for personal success. They forget that the reason we are alive and saved is to have maximum impact for him by transforming our nations. As kingdom people, we are not free moral agents anymore. We are on a duty to transform the earth for the Lord.
You and I are not here to have a good job or a good house or to be healed and delivered so that we can recreate and relax. Deuteronomy 6.23 says he brought them out of Egypt with a purpose that he might bring them into the land of promise. The land of promise will be conquered and filled with the glory of the Lord. Each one of us has his own piece of the earth to subdue, his own land of promise. We have an assignment from God to be his reformer. That's why you and I were saved. He needs someone to be his feet, hands, and character to righteously subdue and manage an area that was previously ruled by ungodliness. We are to reclaim and change the world, not use its resources to meet our own desires. Your job is not just a job. It's a platform God has given you to change society. It is not about your salary, but about promoting the kingdom of God. You were created for this, to win the earth back to God piece by piece. When a church has God's ambitions, you don't hear people say, Pray for my depression. Pray I'll get a raise. Pray I'll get a bigger house. Pray for me, me, me. People who are on a kingdom mission tend to forget about their own problems. Egocentrism kills leadership because it shrinks their ambitions to the size of their own desires. It kills people in the pews by drawing their attention away from kingdom work and toward themselves. Lack of purpose. I spoke with a pastor of an American megachurch recently. His church has 15,000 people. He told me, I can walk into the mayor's office anytime I want, but I don't know what to tell him. What an indictment. Yet many churches that are supposedly doing a great work are in a similar situation. They interact with society without changing it. But it's not enough to socialize with the world or to grow impressively large congregations so that community leaders speak well of us. We must permeate, influence, and change the society. I learned this lesson after my church grew to 15,000 people. Everybody was applauding me for having a big church in such an unlikely place, but the praise was all about me and us. It felt terribly wrong, and we were in danger of losing our focus. My focus was restored when I read Isaiah chapter 49, verse 8, quote, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. I will preserve you and give you, as a covenant to the people, to restore the earth, to cause them to inherit the desolate heritages. End quote. It hit me that God wants the earth restored back to him. If we grew our church to a million people but didn't change society, we would have failed in our mission. It would be like building a big corporation like Microsoft or a popular social club. That truth transformed my mind. Before then, my goal was to get as many as possible saved and into heaven by bringing them into the church. But our goal is supposed to be different. We can send people into the world like mustard seeds so that the kingdom, which Jesus compares to a highly invasive plant, will spread and take over. Churches that lose kingdom focus lack purpose. They may have large crowds, large buildings, renown and wealth, but they don't know how to use them. Teaching fragments of the truth. Some churches get caught up in teaching one particular aspect of the kingdom of God while neglecting others. Some churches and ministers emphasize healing, others prosperity, family values, prayer, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, salvation, and so on. Each of these is part of the truth, but none of them alone is the whole truth. Unless a church continually and relentlessly pursues a total kingdom agenda, 
it's easy to fall into teaching only fragments of the truth. For example, some churches preach the gospel of salvation without teaching about transforming society. They get people saved, but do not train them in any relevant activity. They preach one aspect of the kingdom. But the kingdom and its gospel is a totality. The gospel of salvation in isolation will not change the earth. When you teach a half-truth, you destroy the truth. The saying goes, a half-truth is a whole lie. Half-truth is as dangerous, if not more dangerous, than the absence of truth. That's why some people despise the church. They see religious people focused on one aspect of the truth, and they are turned off. Believe it or not, people outside the kingdom want to join the kingdom. They know instinctively that there is life in being kingdom-minded. Life without God is senseless, and people understand this. But they need someone to show them how the kingdom works. They are like people trying to charge a cell phone by sitting it on a stovetop and turning on the heat. They have the right idea, trying to get energy and electricity into the telephone. But they are destroying the phone as a result. In the same way, they destroy their lives by being ignorant of the kingdom of God. As a kingdom citizen, you have the answer. You can tell people how life works, but they don't want a sliver of the truth. They want the whole package. Jesus brought a total gospel, the salvation of man and his surroundings. Our churches must also have a total kingdom message to change the whole society, including crime, poverty, stewardship of the earth, business, the arts, the governments, and many other spheres. We can't major on certain issues and minor on others. Our message must be comprehensive. Our enemies attack us because we preach half the gospel, and they are right to do so. If the church stands only for certain truths, it will be seen as hypocritical. Partial truth leads to injustice. Jesus asks us to disciple nations with the whole truth. How to be kingdom-minded To be kingdom-minded is to reject the world's way of thinking and to live by superior principles from a superior place. The kingdom to which Christians belong is superior. The principles we live by are superior. Love is superior to hatred. Mercy is superior to vengeance. See James chapter 2, verse 13. Honesty is superior to dishonesty. These are some of the weapons we use in our promised lands. This world can only be properly managed by people who rule from a superior place and superior principles. Only good can overcome evil. This is one of the most important laws on earth. Paul wrote, quote, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. End quote. Romans 12, 21. Good is more powerful than evil. I earlier quoted John 3, 31, which says, quote, The one who comes from above is above all. End quote. That is our position, too. We are seated in heavenly realms with Christ. That means that we rule from his position of superiority. What makes him superior? His nature and principles that God has exalted above his name. Those same principles make us kingdom-minded. There is no way to properly rule and subdue the earth by using principles of the kingdom of darkness. The people of this world walk in the futility of their minds. They cannot understand what it means to love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. They are stuck with a set of inferior principles, and they get inferior results. 
God did not design the human body for things like fornication, envy, theft, indecent language, irritation, anger, and alcohol and drug addiction. He designed our minds and bodies to function by kingdom principles. To hate is to slowly self-destruct. To manipulate others is to invite death into your life. It's against how your mind and body were made. Evil cannot overcome evil. Bodies, brains, and spirits were meant to function on kingdom principles. The Bible says, quote, So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts, end quote. Ephesians 4, 17 and 18. To change and improve the world, you must have a superior position and superior principles. You can only transform something if you are not conformed to it. Romans 12.2 The principles of the kingdom are no secret. They are found throughout the Bible, particularly in the Gospels, where they are perfectly embodied in Christ. The principles include love, peace, justice, mercy, goodness, gentleness, unity, compassion, and holiness. These are superior to what the world operates by, which is control, power, hatred, manipulation, division, threats, revenge, greed, and selfishness. Though the principles of darkness may seem powerful to us at times, they are inferior principles. They break down in the presence of kingdom-minded people. They are the rules of a doomed power structure. To rule properly is to embody the king's nature. Jesus encouraged us to let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven, Matthew 5.16. We are called by God to live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us, 1 Peter 2.12. Our holiness and righteousness is the best testimony we have for showing people that God is real. No matter how they behave toward us or what they say about us, There will come a time when people see our good works and understand what holiness, virtue, and the love of God are about. We must work better and harder than anybody else. We must respect all people. We must be the best in every area of our lives. We must continue doing good because good will always overcome evil in the end. In your area of calling, apply those principles, using them to demonstrate the kingdom of God for everyone to see. Embody sincerity, honesty truth, integrity, and hard work. By the business you build and how you conduct yourself, you are actually building the kingdom through your life. It becomes a glaring example of righteousness and a model for the world to see and emulate. We are to thrust ourselves into the world because that is where we set people free. We don't run from problems, we run to them. Light doesn't run from darkness, but the other way around. We are problem chasers. We have the answer for every problem in the world. That is our Great Commission calling through active application and kingdom principles. Many people come to the Embassy of God who are directors of companies and they often ask me, how should we deal with Christians who are working for us and who are unreliable, undisciplined, and sluggardly? My feeling is that anyone who has that kind of attitude to his job is simply not a Christian. Christians must be the first and best in everything. They must be transparent examples of virtuous living. Quote, For it is God's will that by doing good, 
you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men, end quote. 1 Peter 2.15 Living by kingdom principles is in our best interests. It's not about becoming religious. It's about having your ability to rule over this world restored. As a young believer, I used to think that by obeying God's word and commandments, I was simply pleasing God. But today I understand that obeying God's word and commandments is actually to my benefit. It keeps me from self-destruction. It helps me to establish authority over my promised land. Forget what it's like to have hatred, anger, and unforgiveness in your heart. These are foreign to us as Christians. They slip right off us as if we were made of Teflon. Our hearts and minds are consumed with better things. Our commitment to the kingdom is our food, our treasure, our life. Remember, the kingdom of God will work for us at the same level we are committed to the kingdom. Repentance The problem for many people is they don't fully reject the principles of this world. They establish partial friendship with the world. They try to mix kingdoms. They use principles of the kingdom of darkness to establish their rule. They use secrecy, anger, dishonesty, and worse. The prince of this world, who is the devil, directs their actions without their realizing it. Meanwhile, they believe they are the ones in charge. They believe they are doing God's work, but they are using inferior principles and falling into the futility of their minds. Children of God have nothing to learn from people who walk in darkness, and there is no need to imitate them. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. There is no middle ground. Perhaps you have accepted Christ but are not overcoming the world because you are not fully identified with his kingdom. To rule effectively, you must be enveloped and engulfed by kingdom principles. Your affections must be set on things above. You cannot rule with half-commitment. It must penetrate your brain and your soul. There must be no room for anything else. Many preachers don't preach repentance, but Jesus did. See Mark 1.15 There will always be the need to repent, even when you are living in the kingdom. To repent means to change your mind and your belief system as often as needed. It is the process we go through to become kingdom-minded. We repent because the kingdom of heaven is here. It is about rejecting the old and embracing the new. It's about, again, embracing the benefits of that superior kingdom which provides protection, guidance, health, prosperity, and purpose. There is no life apart from the kingdom. When we find the king and repent of our old ways and commit to embody his nature, we can rule our promised lands. Love If I could sum up kingdom-mindedness in one word, it would be love. I used to think it was not possible to love all people equally, but I discovered the secret of how to do it, and today I really do love all people. I reached that place of love through a difficult realization. One day, God told me to listen to my own sermons on tape because I was teaching principles that I did not fully embody. So I put all my sermons together and started listening to them and reading through all my notes. I started memorizing the word and meditating on it. During one particular two-month period, I concentrated on 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. I prayed and meditated over it. I knew in theory that love is not provoked, yet I was often provoked. I meditated on how to apply that word in different situations. I asked myself, what if someone punches me or spits into my face? Will I be provoked then? 
I found out that my knowledge was still theory. So I took the word again and replayed it in my mind until theory was transformed into practice. By the time I finished that exercise, I found I had become a different person. I could no longer be provoked. I grew to love not only the members of my church, but also my enemies and those who plotted evil against me. I can now boast that there is no one I don't like in my life. I can no longer be angry or irritated. God doesn't have these qualities. He looks at people with love. His love fills my heart, and therefore I love everybody no matter how they treat me. Some Christians know many verses of Scripture by heart, and yet they fail to live according to them. The church is strong when she lives by her understanding. Love changes the way you handle every life situation. If somebody offends you, love emboldens you to not respond to the offense, but to forgive the offender and let Jesus respond instead of you. I encourage you to ask yourself regularly, Do I behave like Christ? It doesn't matter if you are a pastor, a leader, or a layman. It doesn't matter how many years or months you have been following Christ. What matters is whether your character and life reflect Jesus Christ or not. Only people who embody the nature of Jesus have the right to call themselves Christians, a word that originally meant little Christs. If Jesus' followers embody the nature of their king, there will be no need to prove that we are Christians. Our love and our works will convince people better than a thousand sermons. As Paul wrote, quote, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. End quote. 2 Corinthians 3.18 as we shift, we need to realize that without being identified with God, without becoming kingdom-minded, we will not change anything in our world. New seasons bring new assignments. National transformation is today's assignment. Only those who are increasingly filled with God's nature will become deliverers and saviors of their nation, community, and family. Love people. Love them no matter who they are or what they do. Love people regardless of their faults. Love them unconditionally. God's love draws people, but our attitude often pushes them away. But if there is love, then that love draws and keeps them. Love is the strongest bonding agent in the universe. Love preserves people in the kingdom of God. If they do something wrong, love them. Even if you do not like socializing with them, continue to love them. Love and help people before you ever try to influence them. Love them before they listen to you. Love them while delivering them from slavery. Love them while bringing them out of the world. Today, many ministers can teach, but fewer can love. That's why many churches remain so small and irrelevant. Some ministers think that as long as they teach somebody, everything else will fall into place. But nobody will listen to ministers of God if they don't love. People don't come to church to be taught. They're seeking love, and that's our first commission. God's love doesn't permit us to hate anybody. It doesn't permit us to be bitter, angry, or hateful. Love for the land and its people will lead us to impact our nations. Let us be kingdom-minded. Let us embody the nature of our king. Then let us go forth to rule in our promised lands. Kingdom Principles from Chapter 4 Number 1. When Christians make church the focal point of their lives and ministry, they burn each other like an oversalted dish, and blind each other like a room full of spotlights. 
Number two, when a church loses focus, people get busy fighting among themselves. When our focus is not on finding our promised land and changing our society from right where we are, we start using kingdom resources to build our own kingdom. Number three, there is absolutely no use in having a big church without changing culture, speaking to society, and curing social ills. Number four, egocentrism kills leadership because it shrinks their ambitions to the size of their own desires. Number five, the gospel of salvation in isolation will not change the earth. When you teach a half-truth, you destroy the truth. Number six, this world can only be properly managed by people who rule from a superior place and superior principles. Number seven, we must work better and harder than anybody else. The kingdom of God will work for us at the same level we are committed to the kingdom. And number eight, only those who are increasingly filled with God's nature will become deliverers and saviors of their nation, community, and family. Love and help people before you ever try to influence them.